0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week, this week. On the nonprofit news feed, of course, brought to you by Whole Whale. We are talking about a little bit of news coming out, clearly, of how nonprofits are responding to the disaster Puerto Rico with Hurricane Fiat. How's it going, Nick? It's going good, George. How are you? Doing all right. I know you just got back. I, I was on my own, I was abandoned by you. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, how, how was Dublin? Dublin and Ireland were spectacular. I
1: went to lots of libraries and bookstores and did some day trips to the coast, and it was it was beautiful. But I'll say that I can confirm we, in fact, have international listeners to our podcast because I, in fact, listened to it last week. But I'm excited to be back today with you for this story um, and this week's podcast. So as you mentioned, our first story is about nonprofits responding to the hurricane in Puerto Rico. So last week, Puerto Rico felt the brunt of Hurricane Fiona shutting power to the island and and devastating everything from homes to agriculture with really quite severe flooding, which uprooted life yet again in in communities across the island. So Puerto Rico, of course, was still in the process of kind of rebuilding from Hurricane Rio, which landed back in 2017 and finds itself again in need of assistance um, and a path towards a resilient recovery. So, a couple of the nonprofits we highlighted um, include the New York based Your Network Caring Community Advocates, which have started collecting supplies to aid in the recovery, and then also highlighting organizations like the Hispanic Federation, which are accepting donations. And I'll say that disaster response uh, fundraising is not something that we typically work on, it's kind of a, a different beast, um, but like um, we were talking offline, these organizations have a very short time span um, to raise awareness and funds needed for disaster response, let, alone, let only in the immediate aftermath of the emergency, but of course, for any kind of uh, sustainable rebuilding effort. So George, what's, what's, your, what's your take on this story?
0: Yeah, it's shocking that you know it's only been five years. Clearly, rebuilding efforts have been uh, probably slowed by by the pandemic and lack of resources. And uh, but the death toll uh, they said initially was sixty four. It's now actually later placed at nearly three thousand. They're saying the flooding was more widespread than Hurricane Maria, according to reports coming out of CNN. But the uh, the damage is is very real. The scale is. Seemingly on par with what happened five years ago, but what is not on scale, and you know, this is just me looking at the data inside of Google Trends, is the search in the, you know, search interest, we'll call it, and search volume for Puerto Rico hurricane uh, versus where it was in 2017, five years ago. Um, it was significantly higher now. Some of these data are still sort of coming in, but it was far larger with regard to the the hurricane searches and looking for it uh, in the order of, you know, 4X difference for people interested in Puerto Rico as a search term and uh, gosh, you know, 10X different for hurricane. Why does this matter? I look at search volume as a way of understanding how Americans, and you can spread it to the globe, but in this case, Americans are Looking for information about a disaster, because some portion of those people will be persuaded and moved to open their wallet to support it, or more people will put pressure on elected officials to uh, do something more immediately. Attention is the real currency that I'm trying to look for, and it's it's right there in the numbers and so when I see a lower interest in the news for whatever reason, lower searches lower information that I can just literally look into trends for, I can tell pretty reliably that there's going to be a less mobilized, at least financial response in general America. The half life of this is already dropping, meaning that interest is already starting, uh, has already peaked and now is uh, is dropping unless there's going to be another, another piece. And by the way, there's another hurricane as we speak, moving into Florida and displacing people, which is going to subsequently take the the news cycle away from Puerto Rico and more toward larger larger impacts of of the hurricane moving forward. So all of which is to say if you're doing emergency response, it has to happen quickly. The messaging has to get out there if you want those initial donations. And you know it's um it's tough to see. That's all. Because I, I can sort of watch watch it in the numbers a little bit before it happens. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll, I'm sure be talking more about this next week as I think what will be the dominant news story is, is Hurricane Ian as well. Um, in addition to Hurricane Fiona. So we will, I'm sure be talking more next week about natural disasters and nonprofit responses. I want to take us into our next story. And this is, we linked to the Esquire piece because it didn't have a paywall, but it's really about, uh, an investigative piece by the new york times and it's about hospital executives really kind of ramping up quote-unquote aggressive techniques to get folks uh to pay hospital fees even though they might actually qualified for discounted care um and not to mention a lot of these hospitals are nonprofits. um so uh some of the largest hospital chains in the United States are, in fact, nonprofits. And we really encourage listeners to read this article in full. It's a lengthy article, but it, it touches on a lot of the issues that we've also touched on in this podcast about uh, some of the real severe problems in hospital administration, particularly nonprofit hospital administration in this country. But it details one chain called Providence. Um, in which the nonprofit executives of this hospital, uh, led by their uh, CFO, devised a program called the Rev Up program, in which um, employees were instructed to ask every patient every time, would you mind paying, even though those people might have qualified for discounted care because of low incomes. Um, So this just kind of Brings back to the forefront conversations about is the nonprofit status of these hospitals? Some of them, which sit on endowments of the in the billions and manage hedge funds, <laughs> um, is is that benefit really being paid forward to the communities? And uh, it's kind of the it takes a this zoomed in approach of this this one nonprofit hospital. But also zooms out to some of the larger problems. So, George, what was your
0: take on this piece? In the the particular Esquire piece, is just kind of funny because it layers in a, a bit of an agenda, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, it was like a six degrees of uh, separation from Kevin Bacon, slash how can we pin this to Pete Buttigieg, who, by the way, once worked at McKinsey, who, by the way, once ate a hot dog. Um, so, there's like a little bit of that in the article. I'll just say, like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I get it. Uh, What's really sort of stomach churning is that Providence is sitting on ten billion that it runs, Wall Street style, as they say, like a private equity firm. It's it didn't need the money and it's taking it from people who did. And in general, you know, we have seen it's interesting because like we've talked about this and we're like have realized that there are profiteering nonprofit hospitals. Look, if you are operating with that C three tag. And guess what? There are actual public benefit that you have to provide, including not limited to not taking advantage of people that can't pay and providing that service of, by the way, healthcare. You know, I'll say it as many times as I need to remind myself that, you know, Americans pay more for healthcare and get worse outcomes than any other country in the world by an order of magnitude. That's not hyperbole. One of the things I'm excited about is actually we, uh, I, you know, we talked about getting stop uh, medical debt, RIPmedicaldebt.org. Got them on the, uh, the scheduled for a podcast. So we're going to really hear from experts in the field rather than like you and I rambling on about it, seeing it come up, uh, but hearing how a nonprofit is, you know, actually alleviating billions of dollars of, of debt from folks that can't afford it. So I'm excited to dive more into that, but good to have the, the view of not all nonprofits are good. It's just a tax classification. Reminder. Yeah, this is this is true. I remember we did a story
1: that was quite flabbergasting. I think it might have been a year ago at this point. It was about a hospital chain, I think in Seattle. And they paid managers of their hedge fund like $10 million. Like that was the management fee they were paying the managers of their hedge fund, not even how much was in the fund. <laughs> crazy, crazy.
0: Yeah. What what business are we running
1: here? Right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay, great. I'll take us to our next story. This is kind of an interesting one. Uh, This comes from the Texas Tribune. And this is about nonprofits paying Texas farmers to not water crops during the drought. And the article details a, a scheme, as I just said, essentially, in which um, nonprofits are essentially paying farmers to use more sustainable applications of water. Um, so my immediate response was was almost um, uh, it's like the like the carbon tax almost, but like in reverse, right? Um, this, this seems kind of innovative, George. What's your take on this?
0: Yeah, the you know droughts are terrifying right we know what those are we know how they affect i'm in based in california and you know over 90 percent of the water being used is for agriculture at the same time you know like something like over 50 percent of the produce of america is created here so you want to be careful what you do but frankly if there isn't an economic value to water being used by certain groups of people then guess what they're going to use it as an unlimited resource which goes poorly in systems generally, and so what this nonprofit seems to be doing is adding that sort of uh, value to to water, being like, hey, by the way, if you were more efficient, you get more money. Meaning that if you could then afford the upgrade to your irrigation systems, more efficient water delivery, um, which is which is possible, smarter ground covers, ways of capturing rather than losing to evaporation water. There's a lot of innovation that costs money, frankly, for farmers to upgrade, and when you add that economic incentive to save money, save water rather than just uh, the penalty of sort of, you know, not getting it is, uh, is an interesting approach. Yeah, I mean, it's just in the billions of gallons of water that they're talking about at this recent report from uh, West Water Research uh, just increased that much for, for the region uh, in Texas. So. Curious. I think it's uh it's something that could be a model. Um, and one of the groups behind it, um, it's kind of the Nature Conservancy, uh, Texas chapter of this is working on it as well. It's like they call it a dry lease option. (laughs) It's cool.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be curious to see if there are other similar programs happening anywhere else. Um, yeah, this is a cool one. All right, our next story comes from news8000.com, and this is about a a local nonprofit in La Crosse, which um, the nonprofit's called the Leader Ethics Nonprofit, which advocates for politicians to be truthful, to be transparent with public information, and to unify people rather than divide them among other pillars of the organization, end quote. So the idea here is the nonprofit essentially advocates for truthful, politicking, transparent public information in an effort to build institutional trust in uh, America's institutions. This is great. I think color me a little skeptical, to be honest. It's really hard for any local nonprofit to to build institutional trust when some of the most influential and powerful people are actively trying to you know disintegrate that exact same trust but i don't know it kind of cool to see right like it's an extremely serious problem and like it needs to be addressed but um i don't know i'm a little skeptical maybe i'm too cynical maybe i maybe they need to get to me right
0: yeah i mean in their ethics they do an ethics report and one of these Excerpts here is the Republican Party, for the most part, publicly dismissed the integrity of the committee because it's dominated by members of the Democratic Party, exception of two members. But um It has to it's worth trying, right? It's it's at least worth a shot. And it is a nonprofit that would be able to do this. There's not a, a government body, there's not a company that that's positioned to do this. So you have to leverage that inherent trust of a nonprofit, the transparency at the very least of, okay, we can see where its money comes from, we can see who's on the board, because that's all publicly disclosed. So you need a core building block, which is the construction of a transparent organization, uh, is at least the right starting building block. We're rooting for you. Go get them. Leader Ethics, wi. so I guess Wisconsin.org. There you go, check them
1: out hard 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 work <laughs> best of luck to them um all right george how about a feel-good story
0: that sounds good what do you got
1: this comes from w- wmur manchester and it's about a nonprofit organization leveling up concord uh massachusetts with a donkey kong mural so this is one of I'd say a series of stories that we featured in this part of the podcast about, uh, like city and urban beautification programs. Um, but the organization positive street art, um, actually brought quote the basic bricks of an elevator shaft to life with a donkey Kong mural, of course, from the video game. It's super cool. I'm a a Mario Mario fan. And, uh, this is cool. Right. And it's like reinvestment in the community. Community beautification is, is important, right? Making people feel like, uh, where they live is a home that they feel valued and, and safe. in and, and this is cool stuff.
0: I am such a fan of public art, murals and pieces like this, that like, literally this was a wall of cinder blocks with, uh, you know, gridiron across it. And it is shocking. You have to go take a look at this because. They made the iron like the, the little walk ups that Mario goes up. He's running around with a hammer. There's a little fireball coming down it. It's, it just, it looks awesome. Um, so bravo. I love it. And what is the nonprofit behind this one more time?
1: The nonprofit behind this was Positive
0: Street Art. Positive Street Art. Love it. All right. Speaking of art, you'll, doubtless as a listener of this podcast. Remember, we had a conversation about public domain and usage of that for social impact. But I also, in the last newsletter for Nonprofit News, included a cool Winnie the Pooh modification. So we took an original public domain image and then added a layer of AI to it. It's pretty amazing because it can complete that drawing in different ways. I think there is tremendous opportunities using AI for impact among other things. And that is a free course currently at Whole Whale University, understanding how to leverage the things that can write for us, the things that can draw for us for improving the quality and quantity of our storytelling. So that's that's what I have for you as our in-game sponsor. All right, Nick. Thanks. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale Podcast.